0: How many of you guys have ever heard the name John Wooden? Anybody? John Wooden uh, was regarded as one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time, if not the greatest college basketball coach of all time. The Wizard of Westwood, he led the UCLA Bruins to multiple national championships. John Wooden had players like Bill Walton, Lou Alcindor that later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Many of those guys played in that era, played under Uh, the leadership and teaching and coaching of a guy by the name of John Wooden. His pyramid of success is used through uh, many sports uh, ministries out there today, FCA and others. Phenomenal. I would highly encourage you to pull up John Wooden's pyramid of success. Great values and principles that he uh, uses in shepherding the lives of other people. And uh, John Wooden was asked this question. They said, Coach, what does it take to make a winning team? What does it take to make a winning team? He said three things. He said, it takes uh, these three things for me. Get your players in the right condition. Got to get them in shape. Second thing he said is uh, teach them the fundamentals of the game. I'm like, that's good. Teach them how to pass, how to dribble, how to shoot, how to box out, how to rebound. Teach them the fundamentals of the game because the fundamentals is what you build everything else on. And then the third thing he said was teach them to play together as a team. Now, John Wooden was an outspoken believer, and John Wooden was a a really strong voice for the gospel. And I started thinking about the principles that he shared are the principles that should drive our lives and should drive the way we do church. Now, the passion of the cross Loganville, of who we are here, and the very DNA of who we are, can be extracted from those three things that Wooden said, and I want to build on that. We want to create a winning culture here at the Cross Loganville. That's what we've been working on for the last six plus years. We believe in preserving the unity of the spirit is absolutely essential. We believe in focusing on the absolute non-negotiables in everything that we do. is foundational. That's who we are. We want to build a winning culture that's Christ-centered. In order to do that, how do you, how, how do you go about doing it? Well, like Wooden said, it's the same thing for us. You uh, get your people in right condition with God. So every person that walks in here, we want to see that person uh, reach that place of repentance, respond to the gospel. We want to see people converted to Jesus Christ. We want to see them committed to walking with Christ. And we want to see that person experience biblical salvation as well as start to live out daily sanctification. We call it progressive Sanctification, that's where we yield to God every day and God is doing something in us. And even as Paul would write, he's at work both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. He tells us, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work both to will and to act for his glory. So that's what we're about here. We want to see people experience salvation and sanctification. Second thing would be this. We want to teach people the fundamentals of the faith. That's called discipleship. We want to see people uh, get really plugged in So you're a young believer and we've got a class called Foundations and Steve Joyner has been discipling people on Wednesday night and there's other outlets there as well but what he's doing there is absolutely uh, crucial for you as a young believer to get the foundations. We have a marriage class. We have finance classes. We have small groups. We have different tracks that people can get involved in because we believe that teaching the fundamentals of the faith is absolutely mandatory in our culture. And then the third thing would be this. We want to teach people to work together as a team. Did you hear that? Team. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Team. And so when we come together, God is wanting us to understand the importance of fellowship and koinonia. We've broken down that word koinonia and what it really means to work together as as a group of people. And so I'm just one member of the body of Christ and you're one member of the body of Christ. But when all members come together and pull in the same direction, it's amazing what can happen. So salvation and sanctification, discipleship, as well as fellowship is absolutely crucial for who we are. Now, I want to build on that thought process with you. Now, I read a lot of different books, and one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of John Ortberg. John Ortberg, soul-keeping, God is closer than you think. You'll never walk on water if you don't get out of the boat. Ortberg has written a ton of stuff. Ortberg uh, was on staff at Willow Creek with Bill Hybels, but Ortberg was influenced greatly uh, by the the sharp Christian thinker philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard, renovation of the heart and the great omission and things that Willard wrote. So these guys are really sharp thinkers, and I like the way they kind of process the journey with Christ. Ortberg made this observation. He said the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. The decision to grow will always involve a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. Now, we're going to build on this today, but reality is most people want to be comfortable. I had a brother share with me years ago when I first got in the ministry. He said, every Sunday when I stand up, I've got two goals. I'm like, really, what are they? He said, my goals are, number one, to comfort those who are afflicted. Number two is to afflict those who are comfortable. I'm like, well, that seems like a pretty interesting task to have every week. But when you think about it, we live in a comfortable society. And people want comfort. We want to eliminate pain. We want to eliminate stress. We want to eliminate turmoil. And so we do a lot of different things to try to reduce uh, uh, pain and conflict and tension. At the same time, at the same time, a lot of people that call themselves, Followers of Jesus take no risk. And even God would say, without faith, it's impossible to please me. And uh, those who come to me must believe I really exist. And I reward those who diligently seek me. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, men of old gained approval with God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And it's faith that's taking risk. And that's the journey God has called us to. And so as, as we sit here, and contemplate the ways of God, God's called us to take risk. Now, back to a goal for me here at the church is this. The goal of the cross Loganville is not numerical growth. How many butts we get in the seats and how many people that walk into the doors and how many cars that pull into the parking lot. The goal of the cross Loganville is not numerical growth, but it's health and maturity. Now, I did not say that numerical growth was not important. I just said it's not the aim. Because we believe that people experience spiritual growth and maturation and health, numbers will be added. We believe that if we build people, God will build the church. The church belongs to him. It was his idea, not ours anyway. We believe that the church and the word and. The Greek for church is the word ekklesia. We believe the ekklesia is messy. It's not polished. We believe every week that when people walk into the church, the ekklesia, the cross Loganville, some people are walking in here in ICU. They've got IVs, they've got oxygen mask on, and they come in here and they just don't know if they can make it another day. Some of the people that walk in here today right now are in ICU. Others are experiencing trauma. They're in the trauma unit. We know that. Some just need a little primary care. But Jesus would even make the statement, which was crazy, when he told the disciples, the Son of Man has not come for those who are well. It's those who are sick who need the doctor. Some of y'all come in here today and you're like, I'm not in ICU, I'm in the psych ward. I know there's a lot of crazy people under my voice right now. If I could just get a witness, come on. But the church is messy. But the heartbeat is to see spiritual growth and maturation take place. Now, here's an interesting thought think about this. A lot of people go to church, especially in the South. And people will go to church and they will pray. And they'll wear a cross around their neck. They'll read their Bible at times, and they'll claim to be followers of Jesus. But the way they live reveals something totally different. There's people in full-time ministry that will talk about how great God is, but they're liars, manipulators, and con artists. There's people that come to church, and 75 minutes on a Sunday morning... They can jump like a champ and shout like an angel, but by the time they get on 81 real good, they've got more four-letter bombs leaking out of their mouth than you can shake a stick at, but I love Jesus. And they don't walk right, and their life and their lips don't match, and their walk and their talk are inconsistent. You, You see, we live in that culture where there's a gap. And there's a lot of people that say, yeah, man, I, I, I love God. But their faith is really not about Jesus, it's about them. You see, being a disciple of Jesus, is not about me, and it's not about you, but it's about him. And he even said, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything. So I'm going to get to Luke chapter 9 but I've got to confront the culture, and I've got to confront the consumer, me-centered, self-centered Christianity that is presented in our day. Again, if you ask most people, why did Jesus die on the cross? They would say, he died for my sin. So ultimately, they've already made the conclusive statement that Jesus died for me. So the gospel is about me and Jesus is here for me. And whatever I want is all about me. I've had people tell me over the years, well, when I came to faith in Christ, you got, you got to hear this, brother. Jesus makes me a better person. Jesus makes me a nicer person. So, so, So it's about you. Yet, Tim, man, I'm so glad you took us through the purpose-driven life because as I was going through the purpose-driven life, I realized that God, he gives me meaning and he gives me purpose. If that's your conclusion, you missed it. And we live in this culture where people have made the gospel about them. And it's about how their lives can be more comfortable and how their lives can be more easy and how their lives can... Maybe eliminate a lot of tension and turmoil. Hey, Jesus died to free me from my sin. Really, it's about me. Uh, Brother, when I prayed and asked Christ to save me, I get to go to heaven now. So so it's it's really about you. And what we're about to dive into in Luke chapter 9, Jesus confronts a me-centered gospel in a self-centered gospel and lays out what a true ragamuffin follower of him looks like. When you start to meditate on the gospels and the teaching of Yeshua, Jesus, can I tell you something? The majority of churches across America today would not have Jesus as a guest speaker. Francis Chan even made the statement. He goes, my concern is that if Jesus planted a church next to where I'm at, my concern is more people would come to hear me. Jesus calls us to go all in. Jesus presents and promotes a radical teaching. That's where I want to go. So as we dive into it, a true disciple, true disciple, true disciple, Loves Jesus above all, worships him, his primary focus. He follows, he obeys, he submits his life in devotion to Jesus. He has established that his authority, master, lord, teacher, ruler is Jesus, is Jesus. Now it's a trip when you pastor and it's a trip when you're an elder and it's a trip when you're a counselor and you work with people. Because people over the years will look at me and go, I'm a Christian. And there's so many people that we've counseled with and worked with that come in here Sunday after Sunday. And and it's crazy looking at people going, that girl right there is cheating on her husband. He confessed that he's got a 15-year addiction to porn. Good to see you. She's confessed that she's got about a 12-year battle of pills. This one over here is a a closet drinker and tries to hide it and she's blowing up her life. The other one over here is like a guppy. She drinks every day. But most people would see them and go, hey, how are you doing? They love God. But all we see is that 75 to 90 minutes on a Sunday and we make conclusions that are inconsistent with that person's reality. People post things on Facebook that sound like the next rabbi. And all the social media friends will like them. Oh, I just like that so much. You're such a good person. But you're cheating on your spouse. And you've abandoned your family. And nobody knows it, but you're hiding. And you're getting the digby statements and the payoff statements of, Oh, I love that new selfie of you. And I don't put them out there because nobody would like mine. So I am just avoid that. But people do that sometimes. I'm like people that post selfies every five to seven days. I'm like, are you that insecure? You're 50. I promise you, your looks haven't changed in the last three years, much less three minutes. And you look out there and you see people and you're scratching your head. And, and others will go, they're, they're, they're so solid. But I have to ask my qu- myself the question, am I solid? So what I'm about to dive into with you guys, you're going to get 35 minutes of what 20 hours of ropa doping with the Holy Spirit felt like inside of me. So if you think this is coming across firm, you should have walked the last 20 hours in prayer and study with me. Bam, you've got to give it up. It's not about you. The self-centered self-consuming, consumerism gospel is not biblical Tim, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? The disciples. Some look and say to him, uh, some, some think you're uh, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was decapitated when he called Herod out and All this stuff went down. He lost his head. He was about 32 years old. Some think you're John the Baptist raised back from the dead. Oh, really? Others think you're Elijah. He was a cool prophet, called down fire from heaven, got into a little squabble with Jezebel, lost his mind, started getting depressed. God calls him out. He checks into heaven, I guess. And they think you're Elijah who's come back, really. Others say that you're just one of the other prophets who's risen from the dead. There's a lot of talk on the streets about who you are. And then Jesus says... How about you how about you who do you who do you say that I am how about you who do you really say that I am Peter goes um uh, you're the Christ you're the anointed one you're the Messiah you're the one who has been sent from God that Joel Jeremiah Isaiah Micah all these dudes prophesied about you you're Messiah that's who you are you're the son of the living God you really are authority. You really are master. One of the translations reads that Jesus looked and said, Pete, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven has. Now Jesus looks at these disciples. Who do you say that I am? And then he makes a statement. I must suffer many terrible things. I know y'all were looking for an earthly king that could come in and overthrow Rome and the harsh treatment of government that you're experiencing i must suffer many terrible things i will be rejected i will be killed i will rise 3 days later say say what who do you say that i am We like the tricks and treats. We like the miracles. We like taking a few loaves and a few fish and feeding 5,000. We love that water to wine gig, man. That was a cool day. But you're going to suffer. You're going to be murdered. You're going to be spat upon. You're going to be brutalized. So the question really is, who do you say that I am? Now Catholics take this and say that it was Peter that he was going to build his church on. That's a lie from hell. It doesn't it doesn't fit theological accuracy. Peter was not the first pope. Even in other translations, he says Peter Petros. Upon this Petra, bolder statement, I will build my church. Petra, different word, different emphasis. What what are you going to build your church on? Peter, no. I'm going to build my church on this statement that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. So how do we become part of the ecclesia? We repent. We respond to Jesus. We say that you are Messiah, the, the son of the living God, and we declare with our lives You're the Christ, and you're my Christ. You're the living God. You're the living God in my life. But Jesus is basically looking at these guys. Luke chapter 9, Matthew 16, other passages. You can go back. He's taken them to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was where pan worship and all this absolute... Drunkenness and sexual orgies were taking place. Bam, there. Who do you say that I am? That's who you are. And what Jesus is basically saying is this. Can you really handle who I am? Will you truly embrace who I am? Will you try to reduce me down to manageable terms and make me what you want me to be? Or will you really embrace me for who I am? Are you really willing to be a disciple of mine? Are you willing to walk in the dust of Rabbi Jesus? Can you handle the reality of what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be shredded. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crushed. Can you handle that reality of what's going to happen to me? Does my assignment frighten you? John 6, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part with me. And it says that many of the disciples departed and could no longer follow Jesus. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, I'm going to be murdered. Maybe I'm going to raise up on the third day. Does my assignment frighten you? Uh, what's going to happen to me may happen to you. Can you handle that? R- really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judas hangs himself. He's tapped out out of the twelve. We're down to 11. Paul gets ghosted in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road. He really becomes a spokesperson. Say he's now the 12th one again. John, he's out there preaching it, sharing it. They take him on the Isle of Patmos and put him in boiling oil. And he almost dies and somehow survives. But all these other Bartholomew and Matthew. Peter, they all died martyrs' death. Paul died, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten. So what he's saying is, who do you say that I am? Do you really know who I am? And if you're going to walk in the dust of being my disciple, are you willing to die? You'll be my witnesses, Greek. Again, martyr, you're going to be my witnesses. Are you willing to die? Hey, Hey, guys, who do you say that I am? Every group that Jesus spoke to, don't miss this. Read the gospel, study it. Every group that Jesus spoke to, he thinned the crowd. If there was a hundred after Jesus spoke, there was usually about 20. Now, I am a follower of Jesus. I have to represent Jesus. I can't present a me-centered, self-centered, self-consuming gospel in our day. It doesn't work. It's a contradiction to who he is. So again, as I'm combing through this, how many churches today would have Jesus come in and go, why don't you give us that teaching on Luke 9? Don't do that. Tell them how God's got a wonderful plan for their life. Tell them if they give a dollar, God's going to give them 10. Teach them the prosperity gospel. Tell them if they follow me, they don't have to suffer. Really? That's a contradiction of the new covenant, and it's a contradiction of the gospel according to Jesus. How is Jesus' message really received today? Now, again, like I said, for 35 minutes, you're going to sit here and entertain it. For 20 hours, I've been getting worked over this week. Don't you present me in an inaccurate way, Cash. Don't you tell those people that all they've got to do is prayer, prayer, and walk an aisle and everything's going to be okay. That's not what I said. I said go and make disciples. I didn't say go and get a few people to pray prayers so that you can eliminate and relieve some of your guilt. Don't do that. So he's been rocking me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he keeps talking. This is Jesus talking. Hey, guys, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, you know, if you want to run, it's a good time to do it, but if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus. You got 400 people. You just lost 75% of them. Exactly but 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 we're thinning the crowd because if they're going to be followers of me they got to be followers of me you see from the time you're born into the world because of the sin nature and sin disrupted humanity at every level the sin nature says it's all about you sin nature says get what you want stockpile what you want accumulate and acquire everything that you want No, no 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 the gospel according to jesus says if you're going to come after me you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and die. No, yes, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and he loses and forfeits his soul? This is the gospel according to Jesus. This is the teaching according to Jesus. So when I say I'm coming to Jesus, this is the Jesus I'm coming to. I'm not coming to Jesus that keeps me out of hell. I'm coming to Jesus that gets the heart of heaven inside of me. You you see, when you come to me, I want to get the heart of heaven inside of you. I, I want you to know that you've got to deny yourself and die. So in that day... A criminal that was going to his place of execution was forced to carry one bar of the beam as he made his way out to the place of judgment and execution. And he would pick up this beam. And when he was on this way to his place of death, he was not looking back, he was not going back, he was not turning back, he was not considering what was back. He was on his way to a place of death. Jesus would say later in Luke 9 that no man after putting his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what Jesus was emphasizing was when you embrace me, there's no looking back. There's no turning back. There's no going back. You're either going to be all with me or not. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That's all in Luke chapter 9. I'll follow you, but first let me go back and bury my family where I can get that inheritance coming from. Follow me now. Give it up. Go all in. Now, this is not a popular message, but it's the gospel according to Jesus. So God is working in me this week as I start to break this down on take up your cross daily. What do you mean by that? And the more I study it and the more I ponder it, what he's saying is this, anything in your life that occupies the throne of your heart, that keeps me from being center of your life has got to go if you're going to be my disciple. And I remember the pain of having to let certain things go. I remember my own personal pain. I needed to be set free from being a sad guy, meaning I didn't have any structure, any accountability and discipline in my life. When I bowed before Jesus in 1985, I needed to confront my sadness, if you will. When I was sad because I didn't turn to Jesus, I would turn to sex and alcohol to sedate me and validate me and medicate me. Really didn't use a lot of the drug things, but some people have gone to drugs. So when I came to Jesus, I wanted him to clean up my heart. What I didn't realize early on was I had a little thing called baseball occupying the throne of my heart. I wanted to make it to the big leagues. I'm going to be a big league player. I've I've got to make it. And everything I did as far as eating and sleeping and working out and the training and how much time I spent in baseball. And he goes, you can play that game if you will allow me to be on the throne of your life. Right now, you're not willing to lose that as being the chief lover of your soul. And Barb and I were doing marriage counseling this week with this lady. And she was basically weeping, saying, I don't know what I would do if something happened to my husband. To which Barb responded, I can tell you this, if something happened to Tim... I would hurt, but Tim Cash doesn't complete me, never has completed me, and won't ever complete me because my completion is in Jesus. Even though he dies, the one that raised from the dead will never leave me. He's inside of me. Did that make me feel inferior as a husband? No, because what it says is she will never turn to me ultimately to get her needs met because she has concluded I can't meet him anyway. What she is concluding is what needs to be on the throne is on the throne, and she's going to keep fighting to keep Jesus on the throne. Deny yourself. What's occupying anything on your heart? Okay, come on. Take up your cross daily. C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus says, give me all. I don't want your time, and I don't want your money, and I don't want your work. I want all of you. Listen to what Lewis said. Jesus says, I am not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. Lewis, as he struggled, writing screw Tape, Mere Christianity... All of these great things that Lewis wrote, when he contemplated what it meant to follow Jesus, he goes, the Holy Spirit does not come to torment myself. He comes to kill myself so that the Holy Spirit and Christ can be fully alive in me. So it's called the exchange life. When I come to Christ, I go, I want all of you. I'm willing to give up all of me. i make this exchange. You take my ugliness and my filth and all of my dirtiness, and I received the righteousness of Christ. Now, the gospel, according to Jesus, says you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Him. And follow me, follow me, follow me confronts Sunday morning Christianity. 75 minutes on Sunday morning Christianity, it, it confronts going through the motions. It confronts living in the south of the cultural Bible belt and having all the right phraseology, terminology, and right Christian semantics, but yet the heart is disconnected. All of us sit here. All of us sit here. We can be in our 20s. We can be in our 30s. We can be in our 40s. Whatever. We can be in our teens. Jesse, tell her, we we can be there. And what Jesus is saying is, are you willing to be my disciple? Does my assignment scare you? Are you willing to embrace me wherever I might lead you? Will you go? Even if I call you to become a martyr and die for the gospel, are you willing to do it? Yes. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. You won't obey him. If you don't know him and you won't know him if you don't spend time with him and you won't know him if you don't spend time listening to him and, and you won't know him if you don't comb through the authoritative word of God and know what he has to say. But if you love, if you love me, you'll obey me. Well, how do we obey you? We take up our cross daily. We deny ourselves. We die to ourselves. If you love me, you'll obey me. Yes. Is that a harsh teaching? I'm just telling you. It's strong. And it's like God, over the years, has gotten me to this place saying, are you willing to obey me, Tim? I know you're afraid. I know you're unsure of what it might cost you. I know you're afraid of standing up in front of people because you think you make no sense. You think you're stupid. I do. Are you willing to to, to share? I will, but I'm scared to death. Then do it anyway. Trust me, Tim. Trust me. Are you willing to get involved in that mess right there? Yes. Yes. Lord, I have no clue what to say. I have no clue where this is about to go. It's okay. Are you willing to get in there? Yes, I'll hang out in there. And and I'm, I'm telling you, the invitation is open as we deal with our journey, and as we deal with people, follow me, follow me, follow me. Verse 24, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's going to save it. Whoever wants to save his life, save his life is whoever wants to preserve them, whoever wants to promote them, whoever wants to to elevate themselves, they're going to end up losing it. But whoever's willing to lose it for my sake, just to be considered a disciple and a follower and a child of God. And God may allow you to experience wealth and certain things in the process. Maybe some, it's not. The two extremes I'm going to talk about here in a few weeks is, as you deal with this whole thing of stewardship before God is the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel. Both of them are extremely wrong. Both of them are extremely wrong. Some people say, if I really follow Jesus, I won't have anything. Well, you got him, but you don't know. Still got clothes and food and all this kind of stuff. But but it's, a, it's an invitation to come and die. Mother Teresa said, you must give God permission to use you without consulting you. You've got to give God permission as a follower of Rabbi Jesus and as you're walking in the dust of Jesus, you've got permission to use me Without consulting me. So here's what I worked on this week for me, and I would encourage you to do it for you. What things in my life is God calling me to release? What things in my life have I allowed to occupy the throne of my heart? And God is saying, You, you need to let that go. You need to let that go. It doesn't just have to be an addiction of sex alcohol drugs pills whatever it can be anger it can be gossip it can be slander it can be justifying yourself it can be declaring yourself and elevating yourself you, you, you see, he says, come come now. I want you to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. I want you to follow me. I want you to learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I want you to learn who I am. I want you to stay with me. I want you to trust me. What is God calling you to release? God, what is going on that is sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? Luke 14, 33. Staying in the the gospel of Luke. Jesus said, any of you who does not give up an occasional beer cannot be my disciple. Any of you who are not willing to work out a couple times a week can't be my disciple. Any of you who's not willing to tip me occasionally on Sunday can't be my disciple. And we negotiate with Jesus any of you who does not give up everything, oh God, cannot be my disciple. Everything, I want your thoughts, I want your actions, I want your habits, I want your disciplines. People will battle myself and our elders and others at times. They will. Because they will say, well, the Old Testament. Has faded out. We're under grace. Yeah. Tim, the reason I don't tithe is because... Oh, why don't you tithe? Well, I believe it's an Old Testament principle. You're right. You're right. Because Rabbi Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't say, if you're willing to tithe, he goes, give me everything. I don't follow the law of Moses. I follow this rabbi who said everything. So your disobedience is your choice with your Messiah, not mine. But when he says I want everything, so that's where God got me years ago. I was sitting there pondering this going, do you tithe? God tells me in the New Testament to live a generous life. He tells me that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, and everything belongs to him. So I don't come to God even with a money statement And I'm going to break this down in a few weeks because it's like one out of every seven verses in the New Testament deal with money and wealth. I don't come to him and go, well, hey, I'm going to tithe and really feel good about myself. He goes, I'll own everything. You don't get to live on 90%. I own it all. The question is not how much is God wanting me to give? The question is how much is God allowing me to keep to live on? Because I, I I gave away the title deed years ago, and I declared a new master and authority of my life, and Tim Cash had to die. Tim Cash was a brutal savior. Tim Cash sucked at calling the shots. That might not be real churchy, but it's the truth in my heart. He goes, "You got to die. You're terrible at calling the shots." Are you going to let me call the shots or not? So, when he invites us to become his disciples, I'm just telling you all. It's heavy. Spend 20 hours with me. God just, dude, don't you present a cultural gospel that's in contradiction to what my gospel is. You don't have permission to do that. Jim Elliot, Nate Saint those guys that took that gospel to the Aka Indians down in Ecuador. Elizabeth Elliot has written some beautiful things. When Jim Elliot makes the statement, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And I believe the message to Loganville today is, he is and she is no fool that gives up what they can't keep meaning from the day you're born, your body's deteriorating. We're heading toward the exit from the day we're born. But once we get to the exit, it's only the entrance of what we were really meant to live for. You're, You're no fool to give up what you can't keep anyway to gain what he says you'll never lose. Allow him to drench you in his love. But I encourage every person in this room, if you've never radically responded to the gospel according to Jesus, I'm not talking about praying a prayer where you could just dodge hell. I'm talking about the gospel according to Jesus of repentance and saying, I'm with you. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, we'll answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you would like, uh, I-, I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.